0: And so I picked five people and I asked if they would meet me for a cup of coffee or grab lunch. And I don't drink coffee. So it was not about the consumption. It was about, are you willing to meet with me? Because I've made this crazy, stupid decision to quit my very comfortable job. What do you think? Interestingly, four of the five people said, brilliant idea to quit your job. You should have thought of this years ago. Now run fast and figure out what you're meant to do. One person told me I was out of my mind and there was some expletive in there. My husband, that was a different conversation. He finally was like, you know what, this is a surprise. I, I didn't expect this, he was not happy with me. He thought I'd been brainwashed at that conference in Chicago.
1: In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other.
2: Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt sized company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America.
1: Welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palacio and part two of his conversation with Alana Mueller. You'll want to listen to part one, but for right now, let's listen as Jeff discusses with Alana her career in networking and coaching.
2: So, um, about 10 years at Sprint, you leave there. Um, and, and did you go into your own business at that point?
0: I started doing this thing that I was a joke. I called it coffee, lunch, coffee. And the joke was that I'd never networked before. I'd been, I'd been like head down as I just described with my conversation with Lynn Lauer, head down overly and solely focused on the four walls of my job at Sprint. And I was really community involved. So, you know, I was, I, you know, I was the president of a of a not-for-profit organization and I was, you know, helping to raise money and organize events and and build houses, but I didn't really network. I mean, I had a lot of friends, a lot of community friends, but I found that when I was out and about in the community doing my community stuff, it was a very discreet, specific experience. We didn't talk about work. I didn't talk about what I was good at. Um, I didn't talk about my professional dreams. Uh, I didn't ask how I could help people. They didn't ask me either. And we were all very content with that. But then, you know, I had that experience where I decided I was gonna quit my job. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do now? And so I, um, I picked five people who I knew from the community. And I asked if they would meet me for a cup of coffee or grab lunch. And and, and my joke was, I, I mean, I, I don't drink coffee. So it was not about the consumption. It was about, are you willing to meet with me? Because I've, I've made this crazy, stupid decision to quit my very comfortable job. Um, what do you think? And so, interestingly, four of the five people said, brilliant idea to quit your job. You should have thought of this years ago. Now run fast and figure out what you're meant to do. One person told me I was out of my mind, and he was not that. He was not that polite about that. He, there were some. There was some.
2: Was that your husband?
0: No, my husband. That <laughs> that was a different conversation. He he finally was like, you know what? Um, this is a surprise. I I didn't expect this. He was not happy with me. He thought I'd been brainwashed at that conference in Chicago. But he got over it, and and so anyway, no, it was not my husband. But it was one of the five people I asked to meet with me, and and that's a person who. He cared about me. He cared about my family. He only wanted my success and happiness. But he told me in no uncertain terms that I was out of my freaking mind that I'd never have a job title like I had at Sprint. I'd never have the resources that I had at Sprint. And I would never make as much money as I was making at Sprint. And what a fool I was to even consider leaving such a company. So it it was back to that mindset that we talked about. And at the time, this is a man who was probably in his late 60s. Of an older generation, obviously to me at the time, and um, he was the kind of person who thought I should take a job and stay there forever. And so he made me so mad. But I have to tell you, all five people, even he, they all ended those first five meetings with the question, "What can I do to help you?" And it was life changing for me. I mean, it sounds so stupid, but um, what can I do to help you? They all asked the question, and my response was, "Well, who else should I meet? Because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing." And they all gave me the names of three to five more people. So I went and met with those people and they all were very generous and they all gave me the names of three to five people. And that's what I did. It it took me nine months to figure out how to gracefully leave Sprint. But once I did, I spent the next nine months just networking. I wasn't, I was making maybe a little money doing some side projects, but um, I was just networking. And It just, it totally changed my whole perspective. It changed everything for me. Um, You know, I was doing some little consulting assignments. I ended up taking a full-time consulting assignment with a construction company called McCown Gordon Construction, and it was wonderful. They were just phenomenal to me. I was a contractor, but they treated me like an employee. They made me feel like I was part of their family. And I was researching a potential business to start for them, which we did not end up starting, Uh, frankly, because I couldn't figure out the financials for it. It was not a money-making opportunity uh, that I could figure out. And interestingly, some construction companies have added that idea to their portfolios, but not as standalone businesses. So, you know, had I understood construction better, maybe we could have figured out a way to do it. But for me, it was just an incredible bridge because it was at that time that the Coffin Foundation reached out to me to say, um we have a 16 year old program that we're thinking of turning into its own entity would you like to come research that and and do some work for us and so i ended up going to the kaufman foundation i was and that was supposed to be a consulting gig and i ended up it became my full time uh, engagement and i was there for almost 5 years and so at kaufman i ran a company called kaufman fast track which trained entrepreneurs to start and grow companies and it was a phenomenal experience i had the most amazing team Um, you know, two people who are still close friends, uh, Michelle Markey and Scott Carson Um, and Scott Carson in particular, he, I think I credit him with really teaching me how to network. He was, he's one of the most amazing networkers for him. It's kind of a game. He's he's an amazing salesperson. And so we became sort of networking buddies and he kind of taught me how to stay in the game, how to stay connected to people, how to reach out in a graceful way, how to then share the riches of those interactions um, to help other people. And so I, I really credit him with, with helping me figure out my networking approach. And you know, interestingly, he doesn't love the expression, coffee, lunch, coffee. He thinks it's a little too loosey goosey. And you know, for me, it was a joke. It was just a, the way I structured my day, a morning meeting, a midday meeting, and an afternoon meeting. Um, But for him, he would much rather, you know, go to somebody's office and be on their turf so that he can, you know, help to explain why the product he's selling might be meaningful to them. But, but you know, having had the opportunity to work with him directly was really special. And so, um, you know, it it, it, that journey after Sprint was remarkable. I mean, it it allowed me to create the thing that is now my whole life. Um, You know, toward the end of my time at Kaufman. One of my clients, um, then called the the Vail Leadership Center, um, they uh, they contacted me and they said, you know, we'd like you to come out to Vail to experience our approach to entrepreneurial education and development. And I said, no, I didn't wanna go. And the thing is I love Vail, but I thought it was gonna be like this crazy kumbaya, let's hug it out kind of thing. And I was resentful that they wanted me to give up a weekend with my family to come experience their approach to entrepreneurial education. And so I, I kept saying no. And they kept insisting that I come out there and so finally, um, I, I said, yes, <laughs> thank goodness that I did. But that was 2013. I went out to Vail, Colorado, and there were seven of us in this little cohort. And the facilitator just sort of broke down my defenses. I was I was sort of going to have none of it, but she, she had us do all kinds of exercises, value setting exercises, thinking about what we wanted our legacy to be, what was more meaningful and important to us. And by the end of the weekend, uh, we were kind of in hook, line, and sinker. And she said, congratulations, team. You've reached the final exercise of the weekend. I'm going to give you 30 more minutes. And in five words or fewer, I'd like you to state your life's purpose. And honestly, that was not my kind of thing. I thought that would be just silliness. And so on Friday, had she said you're going to state your life's purpose by Sunday, I probably would have left because I just thought that was so ridiculous. But after all these exercises and all this thinking and consideration, it took me about 30 seconds. I didn't need 30 minutes. And um, she looked at me after she gave the instructions and she said, okay, hotshot, I can see that you're done before we've started. What did you write as your life's purpose? And I said, my life's purpose is to connect, inspire and empower community. And she said, yes, it is. You can get your shit and leave. And I burst into tears. I burst into tears. Wow. And, um, I'll never forget calling Mark on my way back to the Denver airport. And I said, he's like, Hey, how, how's the event in Colorado? And I said, it's great. I need to talk to you. And he said, he said for the second time in our marriage, um, Oh, you went off to another weekend. And he said, are you calling to tell me you're quitting your job? And I said, I am. And he said, I was ready for you this time because, you know, what had been happening is that during my time at Kaufman, I never gave up coffee, lunch, coffee. And in fact, by then I had, i had started writing a blog. I had written a book on the topic of networking and it became sort of my obsession that building relationships and helping other people to build better, more meaningful professional relationships. And so um, by the time we had finished that weekend, uh, and I had this life's purpose. I was ready to start pursuing my life's purpose. And so, you know, it's interesting how all roads sort of lead you on your path. And, you know, we started this conversation talking about entrepreneurship. I told you I ended up going to work for the Kaufman Foundation to train other people how to start and grow businesses successfully and effectively. And it was just my turn to now do that for myself. And so, again, it took me nine months to figure out how to gracefully leave this company that I loved Um, but it was time for me to pursue my own purpose. And so um, that's, that's, I don't even know what the original question was. I've talked too long, but (laughs) no, it's great.
2: Yeah. We're going to get back to uh, where you, where you ended there, but there's so many things, different things I I wanted to talk about. One is I think even today, uh, and you see this with people that work at companies for a long time, 15, 20, 25 years, they have no network outside that company. Right. And that, so you not networking outside of Sprint was, you know, Sprint had 60,000 employees when you worked there, yeah. right? Right. I
0: felt like I had a network, right? Right.
2: Yeah. And you're just doing your job. And I, I, I you know, I, I always tell people that. And I think the person who introduced us was uh, Teresa Mur- uh, Carey. Now, uh, That's right. That was Teresa Morovic, and, yeah. and I, and I work with her. On uh, some career coaching uh, back in the day. And she told me, when you talk to somebody on a networking meeting, you always ask them, what can I do for you? And and it's so important because you need to take the anxiety out of it. She helped me because, you know, you're out of a job. A lot of networking happens then, you know, and you, you have anxiety of, you yes. know, I don't have a job. I, you know, and no one can give you a job. That's what I tell people. 99.9999% of the people you talk to networking don't have a job for you. That's they, exactly right. They, your, your brother-in-law who owns a company that can't give you a job, you know, so right. just go in there with the attitude. You're, you want their insight. They don't have a job and, and, and puts the other person on defensive, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I love Jeff. But I don't have a job for them, so I don't really want to meet with them. Well, everybody has their opinion, everybody knows people at companies, and yeah. you know, everybody can offer that, so I think that I, I wanted to point that out and yeah, and it's just interesting kind of your two weekends, one with the the person uh your yeah no this. more
0: no more um, retreats for me,
2: yeah, <laughs> can't wait for your next weekend retreat where are you going to do? but um. Yeah, so let's unpack it now. So, well, one, I w- and I want to talk about Kaufman for uh, just a, a bit too. So, now you go in to Kaufman basically as a consultant, but then you you run it. You're the president. So, what was it like to be the president of an organization? What? How, it was how awesome.
0: That- <laughs> it was amazing. There's so much. Getting up and running was was a challenge because I wanted it to be a money making entity. When I got there, it was not. It was sort of a an absolutely money losing entity, but kind of by design. But I wanted it. I wanted to show the world that not only could we train other people to start and grow businesses successfully, we could do it for ourselves in a, a kind of an entrepreneurial capacity. And um, eventually Lisa Mitchell, that wonderful speaker back at the University of Chicago, she became my board chair. And honestly, she helped me to soar. I mean, it, it was such a rush to be part of that organization. And to to take Fast Track from what was kind of a basically a series of books that were being, you know, offered to different organizations around the country to, you know, a world-renowned curriculum that was being offered globally. And I I am so still to this day so proud of the work that we did at Fast Track to enhance and streamline something that was already really good. In fact, I had taken Fast Track, and Teresa Carey was my Fast Track facilitator. So you know it's funny how different people come in and out of your lives, that really make an impact, make a difference for you. Teresa Carey is one of those people. So it was just so fun, and you know the thing is, and I was doing it with somebody else's money. So right, I, I, it was sort of a risk free deal for me, um, potentially risky from a reputational perspective, but we were doing good work, and and we were putting out a product that was a good product. And so I, I just felt great. I, I loved it. I love being part of the team. Um, and yes, being part of Kaufman foundation was also a wonderful, exciting experience, but really that fast track team is who I, I really thought of as, um, kind of my, my, my core group.
2: Through networking, a very close friend of mine, we worked together at Sprint and Sprint PCS, uh, Debbie Pratt, they introduced me to Teresa you yeah. introduced me to you and you introduced me to uh dr michelle robin it's it's it's, That's it's right. beautiful it's a beautiful yeah beautiful thing.
0: yeah so- i met you know michelle robin actually have a, a funny kaufman story i met her because I would go around and i'd do different talks about network and know about entrepreneurship at that time and she was a member of nava which is a, a professional women's organization and i sat next to her at the dinner and we just had we just connected immediately just I just love her and she's a good good friend and um I'll never forget I got a note from her a handwritten note which of course you know this about me like I really love the handwritten note I'm a big fan and So I got a handwritten note from Dr. Michelle Robin and in the, in the note, at least two or maybe three times, she invited me to come to your wellness connection, her company for a healthy lunch. She kept saying, I'm joining me for a healthy lunch. I hope that you can stop by for a healthy lunch, looking forward to our healthy lunch. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what? I'm not sure I eat healthy at all. What is this healthy lunch going to be all about? So I scheduled that healthy lunch and honestly we've been friends ever since. And so, um, that was a fast track connection, just almost by happenstance. I mean, it was not because of, it was not, she was not specifically interested in fast track, but because I had the chance as the president of Kaufman fast track to go around, not just the city, but around the world to talk about the work we were doing from an entrepreneurial perspective, I got the chance to meet people like her. People who have become incredible close friends, people like you.
2: So you go to this workshop in Vail 2013, and then you and I met, in may of 2014 and that was i i still remember the email it it said uh i i reached out to you via via teresa and you you said i'm undergoing a career transition myself i'm about to leave Coffin fast track so what made you think of coffee lunch coffee and that whole uh what you were going to (laughs) do to help people
0: you know, so I published I published my book. And by the way, I didn't have a book in me. We talked earlier, I was a math major. I mean, I was much more comfortable with numbers than words. So I did not have a book in me. I was not excited about publishing a book. But, you know, I'd been doing all this networking. And people started asking me to network with them. And I wondered why. And what a lot of people wondered is they wanted to know what the secret was to networking. And I thought that was so silly. But I said, oh, there is no secret. The, the secret is you reach out, you say, do you want to meet? They say yes, and you meet. And people would say, no, 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 I, I get that. How did you get so well connected? And so they wanted more of like a process discussion. So I started keeping an outline of my approach to networking. Maybe I gave you a copy of that outline. But I um, I had this outline. And so when people would ask for the secret recipe for networking, I would give them a copy of the outline. And people were like, yeah, this isn't very helpful. And so I'd had... Um, I'd had two experiences. One is that I'm a huge Warren Buffett junkie. I love Warren Buffett. I call him uncle Warren. I know it's weird, but anyway, love Warren Buffett. And, um, I had seen a guy that I worked with at the Kauffman foundation at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting in 2011. And he, after, and we really were not friends yet. And so the day after we got back from that Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting by the way I went 17 years in a row so it was like it was a thing for our family It was like the annual pilgrimage to Mecca or Omaha is really where it was so um so he knocks on my door the next day at the Kauffman Foundation he's like I didn't know you were so into Warren Buffett or Berkshire Hathaway and I said oh yes and so we have a conversation about it he's like listen I'm gonna take this class at the University of Nebraska called the Genius of Warren Buffett, do you want to take it with me? And I said, yes, I didn't even know what it was. And I said, yeah, I want to take it with you. So what it was is the professor promised to teach all the students everything there was to know about Warren Buffett, the man, the myth, the legend. And what that meant was um, basically his investment style, what he was like as a parent, as a husband, and as as a sibling, as a son, as a politician, as a philanthropist, as a manager, all these different views of Warren Buffett and um the way it worked is that every Friday this guy Monroe Richardson um, we would meet up with two other people who were taking the class with us in Omaha we'd meet up at the Kaufman Foundation we'd jump into one of the cars um, and drive together to Omaha in time for the two o'clock kickoff of our course and we'd go to we'd go to class um from two until nine Then we'd walk across the street, there was a courtyard by Marriott across the street from the university and we'd get a little rest and then we'd come back to school the next morning for an eight o'clock start time and we'd go to class until three o'clock, get back in the car and go back to Kansas City. And that happened every other week for six weeks. So three weekend sessions. And um, we knew that after learning everything there was to know about Warren Buffett, that we were gonna be tasked with making a recommendation of an investment idea along the lines of something Warren Buffett would be interested in investing in. And we were going to present that idea to a panel of experts on the investment style of Warren Buffett. And so our Kansas city crew came up with an idea and the professor held true to his word. He had a panel of experts on the investment style of Warren Buffett. It turns out that there was just one person on that panel and the panelist's name was Warren Buffett. And, um, that was crazy it was just crazy i mean it was like an out-of-body experience to he he bought us all lunch we had we had cheeseburgers french fries ice cream sundaes and cherry cokes and as we were drinking our cherry cokes he was telling us how much money he was making with each sip because (laughs) hathaway is a big investor in coca-cola and it, it was awesome so that happened that was october 30th 2011 Also, during that time, I had seen a TED Talk. I'd seen this this, um, three-minute TED Talk. Probably, for me, the most impactful TED Talk I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of them. Um, I've given a few of them, and this was still the best TED Talk for me ever. It's by a guy named Matt Cutts. He was uh, one of the early uh, employees for Google. And so what he says in his three-minute TED Talk is, I am a programmer at Google. There's nothing finer on the planet than being a programmer at Google, But I decided at some point that there had to be more to life than simply programming at Google. I needed to expand my mind. So I decided that every 30 days, I would try something new. And so one 30 days, I took a beautiful photograph every day. And at the end of 30 days, I ended up with a great portfolio of 30 incredible photographs. Uh, Another 30 days, I gave up sugar. And I hated it so much that day 31, all I ate was candy. Uh, Another 30 days, I rode my bike to work every day. And I love it so much that now I only ride my bike to work. And he said, and then came the month of November. And he said, November, there is this thing, this kind of cult-ish thing called National Novel Writing Month or Nano Remo for short. And if you follow the rules of Nano Remo, you end up, you end November 30th with a 50,000 word novel. And the rules are that you're not allowed to go to bed each night during the month of November until you've written 1,667 words. And he said, so I did this. And he said, on November 30th, I proudly emerged with a 50,000 word novel. And he said, now, It is the worst novel known to humanity, but now at a cocktail reception, when somebody says, what do you do? He says, I proudly say I'm a novelist. And so I loved that. I thought that was hysterical. So, okay, so I told you that I have this lunch with Warren Buffett on October 30th, and I have a lot of energy following this experience. So I get back to Kansas City, and two days later is November 1st. It's about to be National Novel Writing Month, and I didn't want to write a novel. I had no, and I didn't care about 50,000 words But if you recall, I had that outline, I had that outline of all the networking tips that I was handing to people, the secret recipe for networking. And so I got myself a blank calendar, the kind with the squares on it. And I wrote in the month of November and I put, you know, November 1st through 30th in the squares. And so I took my outline and I transcribed with a pencil, I transcribed and I wrote one topic for each day during the month of November, 2011. And I had been doing this funny thing that I thought, or joke that I thought I called it Coffee Lunch Coffee. So I went to GoDaddy.com and I purchased the URL, CoffeeLunchCoffee.com. And so for 30 days from November 1st through November 30th, 2011, I was gonna blog on the topic of networking. So I used National Novel Writing Month as a structure to hold myself accountable for writing every day and for publishing every day. And I didn't think anybody would ever, ever read that blog, but it turned out people read the blog. And so all of a sudden people started submitting blog topics to me and they would say, I hope you're not going to be done on on November 30th because, you know, here's another topic for you. And so December 1st, I had one more thing to say. And on December 2nd, 2011, I had one more thing to say. And this by my calendar today, we're recording this on February 17th, 2023. I am still blogging, not every day. I blog about once a week. But during the month of November, now since 2011, and now here we are in 2023, at least through 2022, every November, I blog every single day in homage to that 2011 experience. Interesting. What, what, what ended up happening is that at the end of my 30 days of blogging, a girlfriend of mine, somebody I worked with at Sprint, contacted me and she said, hey, I've been following that blog you've been writing. Would you be willing to print copies, like print all the copies of all the blogs and bind them. And then I can give them as Christmas gifts to my team here at Sprint. And I said, you know, what? I, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't have time to do that for you, but you can feel free to, you know, print them and publish them or whatever you want to do. Well, then somebody else contacted me with the same request. And I was like, oh my gosh, could this be a book? And so at Kaufman, I'd been working, I'd been doing some work, not for myself or for Kaufman, but as, from like, from a client perspective with a woman who owned a self-publishing business. So I called her and I said, do you happen to know any editors who do independent work? So she connected me with a, an editor in New York city. And I guess the rest is history because I published that book um, in 2012. And um, when the book was published, I got a call from somebody at the St. Louis business journal. And they said, our publisher, Ellen Sherberg, and um, noticed that you wrote a book on networking. Would you be willing to give a talk at our upcoming women's conference on the topic of networking? And so I agreed to do it. They paid me to do it. I didn't think people were going to pay me to talk about networking of all things, but they paid me to do it. And following that talk, I, I was hired 40 more times that year to give talks on the topic of networking. So I will tell you, I didn't make enough to live on, but I made a stupid amount of money for something that I was never supposed to do in the first place. And so when that, Vail Conference came around, and I had now a life's purpose, and I had become obsessed with coffee, lunch, coffee. I knew that I needed to go figure out how to build a business out of it.
2: Yeah, incredible! So many things to talk about there. Uh, so uh, first thing I'm going to uh, mention: what a phenomenal experience! At, at the uh, invest uh, and learn about Warren Buffett and have Warren yeah. Buffett take you to lunch. the other thing i love i love the the writing challenge and it it, when you said the calendar and all that you know there's jerry seinfeld obviously a successful comedian a successful business person but young comedians would come up to him and say you know what advice would you give me and what he did was he had a calendar and every day he did something he put an x on that day. And similar to what you did with the writing challenge. And this is his thing for day is I write a joke, at least one joke a day. And I do it every day. I didn't
0: know that. That's really cool.
2: Yeah. So I mean, it's the process, right? You you process and it's well,
0: you know, the kind of the current, one of my current um, heroes, I guess, of the literary world is James Clear with his atomic habits. And, you know, I think that James clear is onto something and you know, this Jeff. but it's basically what James clear says is get 1% better each day, not 1% worse each day. Cause it also has exponentially an exponential impact in a bad way. If you're doing, if you have a bad habit, but if you get 1% better each day with a good habit, the exponential impact of that is, I mean, it's just mind blowing. And so, you know, if you know, and interestingly, I think a lot of people, picked up habits good and bad during the pandemic and so anybody who picked up a good habit right now they're they should just be like killing it in terms of you know the goodness that it's brought to their lives some people picked up bad habits and they're suffering for it now as a result but um but this idea of holding yourself accountable and improving just a little bit each day um is i think a really cool way to way to go
2: yeah, I love James Clare. And I I think that in combination with a book I just read, which is the 12 week year.
0: Oh, yes. You
2: put those two together. I, I think you have a powerful uh, template uh, format process yeah. to really improve uh, yourself. Um, so let's talk a little bit about networking. So, um, I, you know, I think it has. Again, people, Frank Benura, our friend, you know, he he doesn't like the word networking. And networking, the word is almost like the word sales. Oh, yeah. So you think of a salesperson, you think of, you know, I'm going to bang your head against the, you know, hood of the car until you buy this car, you know, you're forced into a sale. But uh, Bob Berg, who, you know, I think we both love his book, The Go-Giver, you know, he says, The word sell comes from the old english root saline which means to give Yes. right and i think it's very similar to networking which you know it could be slash relationship building or whatever you know it's the same thing networking is really to give how can i help that other person
0: 100 million percent you got it you nailed it
2: so now it's a kind of you've made this business and and by the way your book is coffee lunch coffee i recent college graduates that's come to me i say you need to learn how to network i'm going to give you a a short dissertation on it but get this book it's going to help you um you know job seekers the 30 year career professional never that worked for the same company get this book but there's a couple different things surrounding like what type of companies approach you to you Uh know to help them as well as i think You know, most introverts, they say, oh, networking, I got to meet with somebody. How do you bring these people out of their shell to help them?
0: Okay. Well, so on the types of companies, honestly, nobody can be everything to everybody, but I say my approach to networking is good for anybody who's open to it. So it can be any industry. And honestly, I've worked with so many different, so many different industries. You know, a lot of my clients come from banking, legal, accounting, and other financial services, uh, real estate. So a lot of professional type services, a lot of universities, a lot of trade associations. So industry associations, rotary clubs, chambers, but I think the point is, it's really anybody who's open to it. So when I teach on the topic of networking in sort of, a, will call it like a, an auditorium or a classroom format, the class sizes have ranged from five people to a thousand people. And so I think it just sort of depends like who, like who it is that you're delivering the message to. And frankly, I've spoken on the topic anywhere from 15 minutes to literally 12 and a half hours when I teach a college course, 12 and a half hours. And so... I can go on about this all day long if we need to. Um, because I just think there's so many layers to unpack and and ways to experience it and to practice networking. Um, but in a way that is really, as you described, about giving. And I love that you brought, brought you know, kind of Bob Berg's approach into the into our conversation. Because that's, that's what it is. I always guarantee, and I know it sounds a bit trite, but the more you give, the more you give of your time, information, and resources, the so much more you get back. I try as hard as I can to be a a giver in that way. One of my very favorite books is Adam Grant's give and take. And, you know, he talks about the importance of, of giving, being a giver, that the most successful people are the givers. And so I always want to be a giver. What's interesting though, is I feel like I've, I, what I've given pales in comparison to what I've gotten back, and so again, I know it sounds a little trite and esoteric, but when when people are generous, when you do say when you do start the conversation or finish the conversation with "What can I do to be helpful to you?" Oh my gosh, the the gifts that come back are just unheard of, and and the other thing is it doesn't have to be one to one, so it doesn't have to be that you know I did something for you, so now you have to do something for me. It's not quid pro quo, right? It's that it's the um, I know people talk about paying it forward, but I, I'm not even sure it's paying it forward. It's just, it's just like, be open, be generous. And then you won't even believe the gifts that come back in return and and from places unexpected. When I think about even my current book of business, uh, and, and honestly, like, thank goodness. I'm like knocking on anything I can. My business is, is busier than ever. And, and honestly, when I think about the current clients that I have, I can attribute a huge portion of my current business to two people, two people. I mean, I, I, you know, I have to trace it back. It's like the, it's almost like the family tree of where did you get this client? It's a, it's like the, uh, the diagram that you build when i think about that flow chart and i think about who has been helpful to me right now it goes back to two people and and when i think about what have i done for them i think nothing i don't know what i did what i've done for those people and that's probably not true i mean if you were to query those two individuals what has Atlanta ever done for you? There, maybe there's something I've done for them. Um, I could even tell you some, some things I've done for them, but again, I feel like it pales in comparison to the gifts they've given me. So, so that for sure is I, I just think the most important piece is that giving piece. So I love that you brought that up.
2: Yeah, I mean, and so one th- one of the things I I don't know struggles the write word, but it's it's a balance, right? You, you know, and I, I'm very curious how you do it. Um, you know like you have work to do you have clients yes. you still obviously need to maintain re, you know uh, great relationships as well yeah. as meet new people that you can help right and, yeah. and and so how do you balance that
0: you know it's I, I don't have a secret formula what i'll tell you is that um sometimes i have to like rebalance like re reimagine what that looks like and and over the last few years i noticed that uh I guess I would say I was responding more than I was reaching out and I wanted to bring that more into balance and even like events. So the pandemic aside, I would say, yes, of course, over the last three years, but even before that, I was going to fewer and fewer events as a guest and I was more a host or a speaker or some other function at the events I was going to. So I've made a real concerted effort over the past year and a half or so whether they're virtual events or now, thank goodness, more in-person events to go to more things. Um, You know, you and I, while he was hosting them, you and I both showed up pretty frequently to Randy Powell's um, uh, video podcast that he was doing. And, And, you know, but that's the kind of thing that I actually had to calendar. If I didn't calendar it, I didn't show up. And I was realizing I wasn't showing up more frequently than I was showing up. And that's just not who I am. I wanted to show up. I wanted to be somebody that people thought should be there. And when I wasn't there, I wanted people to miss me. <laughs> and, and I realized that people weren't missing me anymore because I wasn't showing up. And so, you know, so I have to keep myself in check just like everybody. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think that there's anything like mystical about somebody who's a good networker. It's somebody who, makes an effort to show up and show up not just for themselves but for other people i will tell you my favorite approach to networking and you know this very well about me is is not group networking or not networking events i much 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 prefer doing what we're doing now sitting down and having a conversation although it feels very selfishly one-sided right now but um but i I much prefer to sit down with somebody else and uh, one-on-one or you know three people having a conversation i just i like the intimacy of that but I do find networking events to be very efficient. And so I think, again, I'm going to go back to the word balancing that as a concept. So not only am I responding to requests to get together with people, but I'm also reaching out and, and reminding all of our listeners today that it's it's really important to... Continue to cultivate the relations you have. I, I think the relationships you have are way more important than the relationships to come because you already have them. You have to continue to nurture them. Um, you know, you were talking about our our pal Frank Bonura earlier. Frank Frank has a, like a very um, uh, structured approach to keeping in touch with people. He's very intentional about it. I'm probably less intentional. Not probably. I am much less intentional. For me, I think that if you've had it an authentic relationship or an authentic interaction with somebody today, if you come back together in in a month's time, six months time, six years time, people are still going to remember that authentic, that authenticity, that good, warm feeling that you left them with during the last interaction. And so it will be authentic again. It's like when people say that, you know, they haven't seen their college pal and you know, 20 years and they just pick right back up where they left off. Well, the reason you pick right back up where you left off is because your interaction was authentic. It was meaningful. It was special to both of you. And so that's what I, that's really what I try to create when I am interacting with people. And so back to your question, how do I maintain that? Or how do I make sure that it happens? I have to keep myself in check and and manage that process.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah. So I like to uh, end the episode, each episode with kind of advice to two different groups of people. So uh, the first group I'm always empathetic to is recent college graduates, helping them get a job. So what advice would you give a recent college graduate or somebody ready to graduate uh, this semester in terms of getting a great job?
0: Okay, so honestly, um, my answer has changed over the last few years to this question because the group that you're talking about is essentially the class of COVID and they are more isolated than you and I were. Um, they certainly have more techno- technological tools at their disposal. So not only Zoom, but their mobile devices, the internet, um, you and I didn't have that. And, and so we were the beneficiaries, right? And, and it was harder, right? But it was more manual, but it forced us out of our houses to get in, in front of people. I implore today's college graduates are coming out, recent college graduates, soon to be graduates, Please, 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 please don't sit on your couch, don't sit in front of your desk, don't sit in front of your ring light, um, or in front of your phone all the time, please get out and about interact with human beings in person in a way that is meaningful. Um, I, I don't mean go to every single networking event, but pick some that are meaningful to you. Get involved in the community in some way, but do something that gets you out and about and among people. Um, that is my number one piece of advice. It doesn't have to be to find a job. It is simply to interact with other humans. And I'm very worried about the generation today because they are so much more isolated than we ever were. If we're feeling the mental health challenges of the isolation that we've all been sort of um, uh subjected to over the last three years. Imagine what a young person is. They don't even know the difference. And and the way that they come alive when they get in front of other people is fascinating. And so I, I just can't say how important it is to make sure that they're not just sitting at home um, or or sitting in isolation.
2: Amazing insight. Amazing. That's that's great. Um, how about um, the other group I'd like to address and in, in terms of your insight so remember the time whether it was sprint or chemical when you had your first direct report you know so from yeah. an hr perspective you're now a leader a manager of people what is that uh, what advice would you have to a, a new leader to help them and uh, them improve
0: you know i i would say there's there's a lot there i I've been talking to a lot of a lot of leaders, a lot of people who manage other people lately, um, because they're feeling frustrated. It kind of goes back to our, our previous question: P- people are, are kind of in isolation, and the way that work works is different. And so, my advice to managers is is to make make sure that you have some flexibility. Understand. Um, who it is you're interacting with, know your audience, I say that to everybody, know your audience, but as a manager, know your audience in a way that you understand their preferences and what's important to them um, from a, a work perspective, but also set some boundaries, I'm, I'm good with setting boundaries, you know, as a manager, I think people today are so worried about losing good employees or losing good associates that sort of anything goes. And I, I just don't think that's really okay. I think people like to have some structure. And so if you want if you want to see people in the office, say, I want to see you in the office. It could be three days a week. That's fine. So maybe people have to come to the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then optionally, they have Mondays and Fridays where they can work remotely. You know, I'm not, I'm, I believe that people are working even if they're not in the office. I know that, you know, you don't have to see somebody to know their work product. Um, but I do think that there's value to, to water cooler discussions and bumping into somebody, you know, unless you're very intentional about, you know, structuring a networking call by Zoom, um, when people get on Zoom or whatever platform they're using to have a video call, um, they're usually not saying, you know, so tell me about your kids or, you know, what'd you do over the weekend? Maybe there's a little small talk before meeting, but usually the meeting is the meeting and, and then you get off Zoom and then you go do your work. And so, those more personal interactions happen in person. So as a manager, set your boundaries, set your expectations and, and make them known. And frankly, once you do that, and, and while still maintaining some semblance of empathy and consideration for your employees' preferences, um, make sure your, your employee base knows your preferences. And if they're not willing to abide by them, maybe they're not the right person for the job.
2: Love it. Uh, Alana, you're a gift to Kansas City. I'm, I'm grateful I can call you a friend. Thank you so much for being on the episode today.
0: It was my privilege. Thank you so much, Chuck.
2: Oh, I just love Alana Mueller. And like many of the guests, she had a journey early on in her career, not mapped out, but she was this entrepreneur in, in growing up just as a young child with this, her uh, Alana Renee Enterprises, A R E, and it was a fashion design type thing. Um, and then it just, that whole entrepreneurial uh, bug was th- all throughout her career. Joe, what did you take away from the episode?
1: Yeah, Alana is somebody that I actually knew at Sprint. I actually worked in her department, worked with her for just a few months for a while at Sprint. So, but what I remember about Alana, uh, was that she was obviously a delightful person and charming person and, and how intelligent she was. I remember that she, she's the kind of person that could walk into a room and immediately the IQ of the entire room would, was raised by 20 or 30 points just by her presence being in there. Uh, she was, she had that kind of, of an impact on, um, on people and on the group. But the thing that, uh, that I took away from that was her own perception of herself in her career at Sprint when she thought that she was doing a good job of networking. And so she was going around and meeting all these people and everything. And then she came upon somebody and found out that she wasn't doing as good of a job networking as she thought she was, that she thought she was the expert at networking and found out that she was unknown to this very influential vice president because he said uh i'm i'm not going to hire you but i'm going to mentor you and um uh, be- because of that and so what came out of that was the concept of sprint at the time at least was a huge organization was 50 60,000 people and it was very easy to network just from people at in your cubicle in your office and your the floor that you worked on And you could easily get the impression that you were networking with a lot of people. But actually, Sprint was an extremely incestuous network. That is, everybody there knew everybody, but they didn't necessarily go out of that network. So what she had to do was to ask people, hey, introduce me to three to five people. And she would network with them. And then now you introduce me to three to five people and network with them. And that's how she finally broke out of the, the idea of this incestuous network of, of dealing only with sprint people. And I think that's something that people have to remember when they're in a big organization is to get out of that organization every once in a while and make sure that you are coming up for air and looking outside of your, outside of your company, even outside of your industry, making sure that, that you're establishing connections with as broad of a group as you possibly can.
2: Yeah, I see with job seekers all the time that work uh in 15 20 years at the same company they have no uh support system, network system, relationships outside their organization. Uh mm-hmm. you know, so she writes the book on networking, it's a you know, networking uh how to book and uh, one of the best out there called coffee lunch coffee. Uh were you were you surprised that she doesn't drink coffee?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how she came up with that concept if she doesn't drink coffee. I didn't I didn't realize then it makes sense to me. But um yeah. why why she would even name it that then, you know? Yeah, I I think it's I, a, good, I don't know. That's a
2: good title. Coffee lunch coffee. Yeah. 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 So, well, any uh leadership words of advice you want to impart on the, on our listeners?
1: Yeah, this actually reminded me of a quote from that great philosopher Calvin who once said to his stuffed tiger, Hobbes, people think it must be fun to be a super genius, but they don't realize how hard it is to put up with all the idiots in the world.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.